All right, we are back. Maybe, maybe if the, <laughs> the, if the stream deck works, but apparently not. It's okay. It's okay because I can do it manually. Uh, do it <laughs> Can I go back to bed now? Um, <laughs> right. For those who don't know, welcome to the Through Our Eyes podcast. This is our fortnightly podcast where we highlight marginalized content creators and their stories. Um, I will hand you over to to our lovely co-host to explain the uh, origins of of such. Fair. Yeah. Hello. I'm your invisible co-host today, Pan. Unfortunately, my internet's having a little bit of a hiccup, so I can be heard but cannot be seen. Um, but yes, welcome in. So the Through Our Eyes project sort of started uh, a year and a bit ago with uh, with what was going on on Twitch. There was a lot of harassment and a lot of trouble going on on Twitch. So I sat down and came up with the idea of bringing together a bunch of different content creators to talk about life as a, a marginalised person essentially and experiences and you know coping mechanisms all that sort of thing but what we noticed was that uh 10 hours of talking to 30 different people is fun but you don't really get to know anyone individually or pick up on their stories or, or really dig into anything that you find particularly pertinent and so uh, we came up with the idea of the through our eyes podcast and this is our 27 26th 27th episode so far uh, we're definitely getting there 28 apparently 28 oh cripes well how did yes. that happen <laughs> when did that I, happen <laughs> i don't know honestly i just absolute fugue state but yes it's been wonderful to do and we've been learning a lot about so many people and different experiences and that's uh, how we got where we are today yeah um so can, can i also get a shout out for our co-host please um, oh, thank you. Because uh, uh, we haven't we haven't actually introduced our guest yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which, hello. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us um, uh, your handles, where people can find you, and a little bit about what you do as a creator. Sure, sure. Um, I am Megan, aka the Dragonborn, which is my handles on everything. But you can mostly find me here on Twitch. Um, Twitter and TikTok is where I'm most active, but those are that's also my handle on Instagram, YouTube, all of that. Um, I am a variety streamer, gamer, um, and I stream, uh, we say here in the Dragon Kingdom, uh, we do lots of uh, story-based RPGs, um, lots of horror games, cozy sims, um, anything that we're just kind of vibing with at the moment. Uh, the vibes there are about 50% spicy, 50% chaotic, and 100% wholesome. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, by the way. Uh, and I'm bi, non-binary, polyamorous, neurodivergent uh, in many ways, and uh, chronically ill, all of these things. Um, yeah, it's we're just playing games on stream and hanging out and creating community. All Beautiful. right. Sorry, we we wanted to say something there, Pan. No, you're all good. I was just saying that sounds wonderful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and before we get into questions, I'd just like to remind chat that um, hopefully the alerts are um, not going to disrupt us because we'd like to mm -hmm. focus on the conversation that we're having. And um, 
also that if you wish to submit a uh, question for our guest today there is a channel points uh re redeemable that you can submit your question to and we will have it um put into a, a list for the end okay right so uh we generally like to start off the podcast uh, uh questions with um a little bit of a lowdown of your story, uh, why you're here, what you want to talk about, and uh, um, what what's the the reason to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so this, I mean, talking about especially intersection and identity between gender and sexuality is very important to me because it's very much my story and figuring things out. Um, I... I was raised in a really, really religious household. So um, the idea of being anything but cishet was not a thing you did. Um, not a thing you that like, you know, it's bad sin, all of that. So for a very long time, um, probably in middle school is when I started being like, maybe there might, there might be something a little bit, um, not quote normal about me uh as far as you know being a uh conservative christian and being cishet and being you know maybe i'm not these things but absolutely being in complete denial about it because uh that would be bad right and in kind of the end of high school i was starting to be like oh yeah these are things this is actually like a thing um but it didn't take me till i got through university um to finally uh like come out to myself just as being bi um and i was still kind of struggling through that because i was still very uh very attached to my faith at the time and i wasn't really sure and as i was kind of starting my kind of like faith deconstruction journey it was bringing me more into this finding more queer community especially online because i was not at all ready to come out to my family or anything like that um, and so that was in, I think when I first came out and I came out to my best friend, which was the first time I even said like, I'm bi out loud. Um, I was in, I was, when was that? 20, 20, 2016? Yeah, I think it was 2016. Um, and I finished college. I, uh, was in Chicago for a year and it was the first time I was like really far from my family. Um, and it was easier to kind of just explore who I was and, like, kind of get to know myself. Um, I moved back in, and I moved back in with my parents, and that kind of made me, uh, after a year of being in Chicago, I moved back in with my parents, and that kind of made me, like, put a damper on everything. And um, then the panini hit. <laughs> and I, my job, um, I work... Uh, I work in the fitness industry. I work at a gym. And so we were not open. We weren't open for eight months. And so I had nothing to do but sit at home with myself and my thoughts. Um, and I started really, really exploring and thinking. And I was, I just had so much free time. And you really, I got the opportunity to like, think about everything and think through everything and reason through everything. And that was also around the time that, um, my friends and I, this is going to be, you know, not that shocking. My friends and I were, we had just started a new um, D&D &D campaign 
And my the character I played, he was very... I resonated with him so much. And, and he was like a... Like, the character I was playing was like a cis guy, but was not a cis girl, which was my other characters before. And just playing someone who was like not my gender, I was like, I got such gender euphoria from it. And I started like being like, wait, hold on. And as I started exploring that and thinking of that, I was like, what would I, what would it be like if I was using, I don't know, maybe she, they pronouns. And so I kind of tried those on and I just did that on Twitter. And then all of a sudden, and, and, and the other thing was being bi was kind of my first, um, you don't have to be in a binary, even though there's, there's discourse about the bi binary, whatever. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> but being like you, it's not either or you don't have to be either or you don't have to do that. And then I was like, I think this thing might apply to my gender. Like if it's, oh, I don't have to like, I don't have to be attracted to one thing or the other. Um, I can, I don't have to be one thing or the other. And I started thinking about that and I was resonating with this character I was playing in Dungeons and Dragons, um, which just seems to be such a universal queer experience. <laughs> Um, is yeah. is cracking yeah. an egg through D and D, and my friend was going to do another um, campaign, and so I made my character for that, and very specifically made that character non-binary, and I was suddenly like, oh, "This is right!" Like it was like, "Oh, this is it!" This is, and I thought back on my on my like growing up, like as a little kid, I used to there's a story that my um one of my grandmother likes to tell that uh one time I was at her house and they were just having a conversation and I just looked at them very specifically and said I was a little boy once and uh I used to tell my friends oh yeah I was a boy um and these things and but I was very much not divorced from my femininity either. And I didn't want, I didn't want to be, I enjoy being femme in a lot of ways. And it just occurred to me that I was like, Oh my gosh, the signs were all there. It was like, like hindsight is very 2020 in a lot of ways. Um, and so just kind of realizing this and then kind of um, beginning of 2021, I started streaming because as I was really stepping into this is who I am, this is my identity and being like very proud and excited about it. I was not getting that at home. My friends are wonderful and they're all very supportive and amazing. Um, but I was living with my parents who I was trying to hide all of this from. And so I started streaming because I wanted to find a community somewhere that I could safely be myself. And that's exactly what happened. I've made so many incredible friends on Twitch, um, on Twitter, just in this online community. And I'm, uh, I'm like so grateful for that. But in that, I've learned so much about so many people and like our different identities. And it is just, again, the idea that the like outside of the binary with my sexuality kind of helped me figure out being outside of the binary with my gender and then that also led to wait I don't I'm like the way I experience relationship and attraction 
is also not, even if it's like, oh, I'm going to date, you know, a man or a woman or someone else who's non-binary, something like that. Like, it's not just them. My relationship structure is even in the binary. And so for me, the, the way they all work together, for me, it's very much each of these things relates to each other because the way I relate to the world is not a binary thing. Um, which is, whereas I know other people who their attraction might be, um, their attraction might be very within this one thing, whereas their gender is just way over here and not anywhere else and not in that thing. And some people who are like, I'm a woman, I'm a lesbian, and this is what I, this is what I am. And that's amazing for them too. And so I just think it's so interesting. And obviously, gender does not equal sexuality and vice versa. And sexuality doesn't equal um, relationship structure, whether you're polyamorous. There's, there's, obvi there's obviously um, sometimes the thought that like, oh, you're bi. Oh, okay. So you must be like polyamorous and promiscuous. And um, well, I am polyamorous. I wouldn't say promiscuous, but, um, <laughs> you know, there's, whereas, there, I mean, and then you have... Uh, you have asexuality and you have all of these things. And just because you are, um, your attraction is this way, it doesn't mean you experience these kinds of attraction. Um, and so I just think that it's so interesting to me how uh, my personal experience, which is so unique to me, can be so different from someone else's experience. Like my experience as a bi person is very different from somebody else's experience as a bi person, which I, I love that. Like, that's so exciting to me that we all have this kind of shared um, experience as queer people and we can come together as a community, but within that community, we are very unique. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it makes my heart all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of um, how, since uh, uh, moving back home and um, your interaction with uh, that side of your your life that is uh, um, your family side, where um, they're not uh, aware, is that still the case? Is that something that you ha want to address? Is that something that... Yeah, so actually about um, in June of 2020, I actually came out to my dad. He and I were having um, just a discussion about stuff, and we kind of got on the, t you know, the topic of homosexuality. And I was be basically being in support, and he was, like, saying this, and I was like, but you don't understand, Dad my attraction to men is no different than my attraction to women. And I came out to him and it was, it was hard. I cried. Um, but he was really, he was, he was definitely not affirming. Um, but he was really kind about it and very much the, you know, this isn't what I believe, but I do love you. Um, and he was very kind about it. Actually, he went on a trip um a week later to Denver it was June so there were um there was like pride stuff up and he sent me a picture of a building lit up with rainbow and he was like I thought you'd like this and I was like <laughs> thought it was very funny oh I was like okay oh but I appreciated him trying but he also 
let me um, come out to my mom in time, which she is much more, um, she sees things a lot more in black and white. So I was also um, not excited to come out to her. And it took me another year to do that. And we were kind of in a fight and it kind of just flipped out. Um, and it was, uh, it was not quite the way that I was hoping, but it's been kind of a process from there. I was able to, um, about a couple months after that, my best friend, um, who's been my best friend since middle school, she, um, was moving into a condo and she was like, Hey, I've got room. Do you want to come live with me? And I was like, you're the most amazing person ever. Um, and so I was able to move out. I'm literally five minutes up the road from them. So I'm able to still see my family a lot. And I do, but I have my own space and I have a very safe space now. And it's very helpful because I am not anymore in an environment where I have to not be myself. Um, at least not daily. And I try to be, it's hard because like, I don't want to say I'm respectful of honestly their bigotry, but when I'm there, like also for my own mental health, like it's, you know, being with them, I don't want to be attacked every time I'm there. So we have conversations of course, because I do think it is my, um, I do think it's my job. I think that's the best thing that one can do to create change is to start at home um, and start in your own community and your own family. Because a lot of us, a lot of us have families who aren't affirming or who are racist or whatever, it, you know, lots of these things. And um, I think that's a good place to start is at home. And so I do definitely try to have those conversations, but they are usually pretty short because my mental health can't always take it. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of back and forth. Sometimes we have really great days and sometimes it's not as great. Um, but it is a huge weight off of my shoulders because I am so much I'm just happier being myself and um it's and I can especially now that I don't live there anymore, it's you know, my day-to-day -day life is I am who I am. I'm out at work. I'm you know, I'm just out, um, which is really, really nice. So, yeah. Um, how is that? I'm, um, I don't know whether or not you mentioned yeah. what you do as a job. Yeah, I, um, I work, I'm a manager at a gym. And so oh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of more, it's kind of more chill. It's like a more chill environment. Um, there are some, there are a couple of people I work with who are like, not as whatever, but they're pretty, usually pretty quiet. Um, there is a lot of, because we deal with a lot of clients who we may not see every day or may not be on my shift or whatever, um, there is a lot of misgendering that happens, which is something that I kind of understand as, in the world we live in, as a femme person who's non-binary. Um, a lot of people just assume I'm a woman, and so there's a lot of she-herring that goes on, <laughs> and it's... It's fine. I, for a really long time, I was, I was, I used they, she pronouns because I kind of didn't want to deal with dropping the she, her and being like, oh my God, I have to correct everyone now, or I have to just deal with being misgendered. But then I realized I was like, I don't really like these pronouns regardless. So I'm going to get, I'm going to feel misgendered either way. I may as well just 
just drop them and be like, this is it. I'm going to tell people. And if you do it, fine. If you don't, well, that's on you. And hopefully I don't have to deal with you every day is kind of how I feel. So I finally dropped it and was like, yeah, it's they them all the way. But have your general work uh, been supportive of your uh, coming out, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, most people are, what I would say is it's a, um, it's supportive and they want to be, most of the people I work with want to be supportive. Um, they also, I think a lot of them don't get it. It can be hard because we do work in fitness. And so there's a lot of like science that comes down. And so there's a lot, we work in binaries all the time because it's like, oh, do you have a male body or a female body? Do your muscles build this way, that way, whatever. And which is just actually not even correct. (laughs) Um, But that's, but it is, um, that's kind of been the general understanding, especially within the fitness community. So there is a lot of educating I do um, a lot of times. And everyone's pretty open to it. I haven't really talked to anyone who's like openly hostile or anything. I don't know. Maybe they talk behind my back, whatever. I don't know. So it's not bothering me. Um, Hopefully not. Yeah, everyone is, um, everyone's pretty open to it. It's just that it's like, there are some conversations we come away from where I can tell they're just like very confused and they don't necessarily get it. And, um... So it's, I do my best to educate when appropriate, um, and most of the conversations go well. So it's nice to be in a place that is supportive. It's, it, again, it's hard because while my coworkers are supportive and my coworkers um, are well, save a few who at the very least, like, I know their beliefs. And so I know they're actually like not okay with it, but they're, but like, they don't go out of their way to be rude to me. So that's fine. Um, it's harder with the members because I don't know them as well as I know my coworkers. And if, you know, if someone's brand new, I don't know where they're at. And so, I mean, and you do this with kind of anyone who you're meeting for the first time. Um, but it's also, it's harder because it's like, they're there. We're kind of doing customer service and like hospitality for them. So it's, not that I shouldn't be respected regardless, but it's harder to be like, is this appropriate while they're like waiting to go in to the gym to give them a lesson on gender and sexuality and all of these things. Um, and so if it comes up and I'm like having a nice conversation with a member, like I will absolutely, if something comes up, you know, I'll say, but sometimes it's just, it's kind of in passing and they're coming in and out and, you know, I'm not going to... I usually don't stop them just to be like, hey, by the way, you know, I'll I'll correct them if, you know, they, she, her, me, I'll correct them. Um, But I'm usually not going to explain the intricacies of gender um, just in passing. (laughs) So, but it's a, it's an, it's like an okay environment for that. So, which is nice. I'm very thankful I have that. So it's really kind of like my family and home that is a little, that's hostile. I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, Pan, were you trying to say something? No, just that it's it's it is always difficult to to know exactly when to to step in and say something, and and not I completely get you there. Um, 
especially because it, it shouldn't have to be your job either but it I also understand how it can feel like it. if somebody hasn't been exposed to certain views it's like well if I don't tell them how are they ever going to know but also is now the right time to tell them so yeah I get that hmm. yeah it's it's usually in it usually comes up for me because when I'm at work it's um it's either when I am talking about myself and trying to explain my own experiment experiment experience I mean um trying to explain my own experience and um using any education I need to bring into that to explain that or sometimes I were like for example one time um my co-worker brought up something about Leah Thomas is that her name the swimmer um and you know, there was a big controversy because she's a trans woman competing um, with women swimming. And of course, everyone's freaking out about it. Um, and so my coworker, because I'm the resident queer, <laughs> um, was like, what do you think of this? And I was like, well, <laughs> um, so yeah, so in I am asked questions sometimes. I'm someone who... If you're asking me in good faith because you are genuinely curious or you want to know, I don't have a problem um, educating. I don't know everything, obviously, um, but I don't have a problem explaining things, talking about it. In fact, I really like talking about this stuff. So as long as it's not the only time I don't like it is when it is more like debate and someone is kind of being hostile to it or arguing with me that's when I don't because that gives me a lot of anxiety and then I kind of like freeze up and I can't think quickly um and my brain just kind of shuts down and then that's when I come back later and I'm thinking to myself after the conversation and I'm like why didn't I say that I hate that <laughs> drives me crazy yeah. um so yeah when it's just in when it's like just in a casual conversation or someone has a question I don't mind answering that um and it's I do you know, it, it's it's only when someone's being hostile that I'm like, Ooh, I don't I don't like this. <laughs> so So in terms of how um this has um discovering yourself really has um affected you how has it affected your general life otherwise socially and uh um emotionally now that you have both come out and realized where you're at yeah so when i was actually thinking about this the other day when i was a little kid i was very very creative and I was very, um, I was very adventurous. I was very outgoing. I was always like a leader. Um, and I was very, um, I was always imagining and playing pretend. And as I got into, especially getting into middle school and high school and kind of like growing up, um, I started losing that and I became a lot more quiet, a lot more reserved. I also developed um, anxiety and all my other neurodivergencies. So that, that contributed to that. Um, but I was, it was, I was just kind of like a muted version of myself. Um, not always around the people I was closest to, like my best friend um, usually brings out the best in me. Um, 
but I just found that I was such a muted version of myself and I always kind of missed who I was as a kid. And I do feel now that I am, I am being who I am and I am, I have discovered that. I kind of feel like I'm rediscovering that person and I'm rediscovering that little kid and kind of, uh, it's, it's very much some like inner child healing, but also kind of bringing that inner child back out. Um, and it just, it makes me really happy. Like I feel more creative than I've ever felt. Um, or at least in a really long time, I feel connected to music and art again. I feel, I feel like there's such a, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause again, I was saying earlier that for gender, sexuality and like relationship structure, structure for me, like you can be this, that, you know, um, in a binary and kind of putting things in a box. I kind of felt like my whole life was that everything was in a box and everything like kind of was a box. Um, but now I feel like that's opened and those walls are gone and there's just like so much more possibility and excitement, even in a world that is very right now, very hostile to queer people. Um, it, I still feel like, I still feel like I have a lot of hope for myself at least and who I am and just, Everything feels more colorful now, I guess. Like I'm I'm literally surrounding I'm literally surrounding myself in more <laughs> color now. Um and it's just it's like it's exciting. I think it's it's great. It makes me really happy. So aside from as you've discussed with your family and and your work, um what challenges um do you face um aside from being misgendered in a work setting and trying to uh, educate your own family. Um, yeah, challenges that facing. I mean, I think the I think the greatest challenge right now is any queer person, especially um, in the states right now, is we have people who are literally trying to legislate us out of existence. Um, and while that doesn't necessarily each moment of every day directly affect me um besides emotionally and mentally and the existential crisis I have every day um it's still something that like again it is that like I have in the back of my head and it actually I have noticed that now I'm realizing um like I was saying earlier you know I don't know, like, when me- when new members come in or something, I don't know how they feel. And I actually am starting to notice, like, I'm getting into this environment where as I walk through the world, I'm starting to become a little more cautious. And I I didn't always used to be that way. Like, I kind of had gotten into the zone of, like, yeah, even with, even with like, knowing my family is, you know, very conservative and very not um, supportive in that sense. Um, and knowing that obviously there are those people in the world, I kind of thought the best in everyone and like, oh yeah. And like waited, waited for them to prove me wrong. But now I'm kind of in a, I feel like I'm a little more vigilant and a little more alert. Um, and it's, so it's kind of this tension between like, well, I am going to be who I am regardless, but I'm I am a little bit on alert because that's the thing I don't want like I don't yes it's scary that there are people who 
are literally trying to legislate us out of existence, you know, especially here in this country. Um, but that, that makes me like want to be louder. That makes me want to be more who I am because we're not going to go away. And, you know, they try to do this all the time and I don't want to. So it can be a little, it can be a little frightening to try to be myself. And the more queer I am and especially out, you know, openly and visually queer I am, um, it can be a little, you know, put me a little on edge a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, that's very powerful. And just kind of like being yourself in a climate that does not want you to be that is um is very powerful and is a protest in its own self and then i do think i think it's hard because especially when you have a climate like this i think sometimes it can create tensions within the community because it's a we want we don't want them to treat us this way we want to be accepted we want queerness to be normalized and there are some people who think that the way to normalize queerness is to act less queer and to be like hey queer people are just like you cishet people when in fact we're not and that's okay that's what's exciting about it that's what's beautiful about it and it's kind of this like we need to acclimate um and i've definitely ran into some people who are they're also queer but they're they're like well i'm not like those queers and it's it's frustrating because it's like you're playing right into their hands because the less queer we are and the less outwardly queer we and like that doesn't mean you have to walk around in rainbows i do but it's um <laughs> but at the same time like being loud about it and you know i don't really care if someone's like oh why are you shoving that down my throat or whatever i'm like i'm not. i'm literally being myself that's all i'm doing like you can you can ignore me that's all you need to do. You can just look the other way and go live your life. It doesn't change you. Um, and so I think that's something that I've started to find. I think it does happen a lot online too, which is a challenge in an online space. Um, and it, it can happen a lot that like, even within our own community, people will pick up some of this rhetoric thinking that, they're being empowering when in fact they're doing the exact opposite and they're playing into these things. And it's very, that can be really frustrating. Um, and I try not to be, I try not to get into online discourse as much unless we are like actually talking and having a conversation, like speaking, but I try not to like get on Twitter threads or anything like that. Cause I don't necessarily think that that's, I think social media activism and like social media conversations definitely have a place, but I think especially when things get more nuanced, it's it's not always a good time and place because I don't know if it's very productive. Um, but I feel like you see that a lot online, which is kind of frustrating to be like, this is such an amazing space and I love this space. But also there's this. <laughs> so yeah, and- there's a lot. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, go on. There's a, there's a lot that can be lost when it comes to te- uh, text-based communication, which mm-hmm. means it can be easy, like easier to misunderstand each other. And unfortunately, a lot of people still do rage tweet. Wait, you don't need to. You you got a minute before you press post. You you don't have to post that very angry tweet. Um, but it, it you're definitely right in that it has its space because it, it does mean that especially 
with what's happening in the world with LGBTQA plus rights, there's so many things, so many things I would have loved to have protested in the UK, but I can't because COVID could kill me. So at least having the online space has meant I'm able to say or do something that might reach somebody who can go. So it's, I'm glad it's accessible, but you definitely do lose the nuance. Mm -hmm. And I've forgotten exactly what I was going to say. So I'm just going <laughs> to. No. <Yeah. laughs> um, what I was going to ask is when it comes to um you're saying that some people are in the lgbtqia community are uh, um going towards the more muted trying to fit in uh, uh side of things um as um <laughs> from personal experience as well um as someone who is identifies as bisexual and non-binary um and polyamorous um how has your reception into the lgbtqia community been so i think it's interesting because the first online community i found um before kind of pre-covid or like in the midst of covid um was my old twitter account where i had followed a ton of other by activists and creators um and it was actually through them that i found streaming because there were a couple i followed who were by people who were streaming and that's when i was like i kind of want to do that that looks fun um but i had found this big community online of other bi people and it was wonderful and i loved it and it was so exciting to find like all of these other people who had um my who like had a similar experience to me and a lot of them were actually in the uk which was funny like i have i have friends who um like friends from kind of that realm who are like all uk-based like activists and writers and things like that um but it was i was finding a lot of them especially the ones who are like i am an activist who they worked for organizations especially the ones who were like very by organizations um they were finding a lot of the flack from queer people online. Now, again, to be fair, when you are online, it is, it can be a little, you don't always know exactly who you're talking to. And I definitely think there are some people who say they're, you know, well, I'm a lesbian and I'm this. And then it's, it, it may not be. It actually may not be. Um, I mean, having any form of I online found... presence is inviting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I found that there was a lot of discourse about just... I, I was just shocked at like how many people were coming in and saying, like, oh, bi people don't have a place in um, gay or lesbian spaces. Or, you know, bi women take away from other queer women, from, like, lesbian women because of their proximity to men. Which, by the way, you don't actually have to be attracted to men to be bi. Like, that's something that I think people forget about. And I just, it was, like, that was always so wild to me, especially for 
like any bi people, it's like, oh, if you're a bi man, you're actually gay. And if you're a bi woman, you're actually straight. You're just being edgy. And it's like, why does everyone assume that everyone's, that everybody is attracted to men? Why does everyone assume? I mean, I know why everyone assumes that, but like, why is that the case? Mm. Um, and then as I started like finding out more about like being non-binary and stuff, it, that was also this, it was kind of the same thing is there was this idea that if you, um, if you were AFAB and non-binary, um, well, yeah, you're, you're more acceptable, but like anyone who may have been assigned male at birth, who's non-binary, well, mm, that's, that's more of a guy. And it's, it's just very frustrating because it's like, why? And I understand that like, not that non being non-binary is a new concept because it's extremely not. It is actually a very ancient concept. Um, but it is, I think, the terms we have for it now and the way that we're expressing our experience is becoming more widely, people are more aware of it. And we do live in a world that is so locked into the binary that even some queer people have a hard time understanding that. And which is why I think like some queer people have a hard time understanding like you can be non-binary and be sapphic or a lesbian because that's your attraction. And that that was honestly I think that was the discourse I saw the most was either like the like bi lesbian discourse or the um the like non-binary lesbian discourse or non-binary gay discourse was the fact that like separating out gender and sexuality because like this is my this is my attraction experience whereas this is my gender experience and so this is my experience and the thing that I found that was just so interesting is again it always came back to it everything always came back to like the arguments against these things against these like kind of unique identities always came back to well what are cishet people going to think like, how are cishet people going to treat the queer community because of your specific identity? And that was very frustrating to me because I'm like, y'all, they're go like, the cishet people who don't like us are going to treat us badly no matter what because they don't like us. It does not matter if this person is bisexual, non-binary, polyamorous agender, asexual, doing all of these things that is just so far outside of the, like, you know, the norm, it doesn't matter that they're doing that. They are going to dislike the queer community just as much as they will for someone just being a cis gay man. Like, it, and so that was what I found most frustrating. Overall, my personal experience has been great. Like, I haven't, I've had a few people just online make silly comments. Um, I've had a couple, like, trolls in Twitch chat, like, if I'm talking about my experience, say things that are just, well, you're banned because we don't have time for this right now. <laughs> um, but in general, like, the people, the friends I've made and the people I have really interacted with in a genuine way have been wonderful. I've had, I've definitely had people who are like, wait, how are you, what, how is that the case? Um, especially, I think the thing that I've found the most is because I am so femme, 
Um, and I lo- I enjoy being femme, but I am non-binary, and it's this idea of like, so you your gender performance is very femme, and but you're non-binary. How does that work? And it's like, well, the secret is when you realize that gender is actually really a construct and you realize that, oh, this is feminine behavior and this is masculine behavior. It's something that's completely arbitrary, changes throughout history and culture and really does not matter. It does not matter if I am femme. That doesn't change my gender identity. My gender expression does not change my gender identity. And that has been probably the most freeing thing. Um, and I think when you kind of get that concept down, and I mean, it can be hard. It's It can be hard to like talk about things without using the binary because it's so ingrained in our, into our society. And it's so hard because very often it's like, well, you do this, which is a very masculine thing to do. And it's like, why? Why is that a masculine thing to do? Like who said, who said so? Who said that? Um, And I think that that's when you kind of realize like, hey, we don't have to be so locked into this means this and this means that. And you genuinely can be whatever you would like to be. And like if you whatever you want to be, so long as it is not infringing on someone else and their safety and their autonomy, go for it. And I think that's what's really lovely about just and it doesn't it honestly it doesn't even have to be just within like the queer community I think anyone should be able to do that because like I think if we all cishet queer whoever if we all start realizing that we don't have to be locked into these strict gender rules or sexuality rules or whatever I think we might actually become a lot more happy And I think Mm. we would actually probably have, like, not to sound like Miss America or whatever, I think we might have, like, a little more peace in the world. Because if you can approach people going, hey, you're different than me because your life experience is this, that's really cool. Guess what? My life experience is this. How cool is that? Oh, some of this overlaps. Some of this is different. That's so cool that you experience things that way. And this is how you move through life. I do it this way wow, what an incredible world we live in that everyone can be different while also having shared experiences. I, like, I don't get why that's so hard. I don't understand why that's so hard. I mean, it seems like a, a, a terribly complex and, and very difficult to understand concept. But no, agreed. It's one of those things that... No, we've been brought up in a society where basically we're we're made to to think that anything that is contrary to our narrow snapshot of experience is is wrong. And I don't know. I don't know who that benefits in any way, shape, or form. Really, this hat white men is who benefits rich. This hat white men. <laughs> oh no, because they're getting a bunch of crap for being like white. So well, <laughs> really, they're is... just shooting themselves in the foot. Like, Truly, very good point. Because a, a lot of people, and especially queer men, like cis queer men, 
still do have a lot of trouble because if they do anything that's vaguely effeminate, then they're suddenly attacked by patriarchy for being daring to be anything womanly, which is one stupid and two maybe we shouldn't raise men to believe that you have to be strong and emotionless to be a man in big air quotes like that's that's not a thing you can experience emotion and and be a dude and be happy being a dude that's absolutely fine like i think raising everyone to understand their their gender whether they are cis or realize they're not and that's how who they are and that makes them happy then everyone would be a lot happier because then you could just be who you are. But that did actually lead me on to a question I had um, for you. Because, so I came to realise two or three months ago that I identify as demi-femme. Because, like, I'm a woman. I'm fine with people perceiving me as a woman. I was raised as a woman, and that's how people will always see me. But inside, I am not. Not entirely. There's It's, a, it's like a good 70-30 split where the 30 grows year on year and the 70 dwindles a little bit more, but it's it's fine. So I use she, they pronouns. It's just, it's still fairly new. But I came to realise after seeing a lot of what's going on with, again, LGBTQ sort of problems that we're having, trying to get schools to actually acknowledge anything exists, um, is that if I'd have had the language when I was younger, I probably would have realised it a lot younger and would have been able to explain you know, why I felt so othered from girls and why I didn't have any friends who were girls because all of them were made to wear dresses and love makeup from the age of eight and listen to Barbie Girl by Aqua. And it was like... Hey, there's nothing I, wrong with Barbie Girl from Aqua. No, <laughs> it's a fucking gay things. anthem, goddammit. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I might have liked those things if I didn't feel that I had to to be accepted, whereas mm-hmm. I liked combat jeans and dyeing my waist-length blue, like blonde hair blue because I had typical pretty girl features but I didn't want them my main question is if you had the language and unfortunately you know unfortunately it's the wrong word to use in this sentence but a more accepting home environment when you were younger do you think you would have found this language for yourself younger or is it more as you've grown older you've come to realize about yourself oh I definitely I mean like I said when I was a little kid I um I used to say, like, I used to say to my friends, I used to say to my girlfriends, uh, I wish I was a boy so that I could ask you out so that you could be my girlfriend. <laughs> like, I used to say things like that. Or I used, like, I remember I told my friend one time, um, I was actually, like, I'm actually a boy. I just don't I have a it. penis. Um, and I didn't want one. That's, that's the thing I did. Like, I did. I mean, truly, I, I will be, I will be real. If I could shapeshift, that that's what I want more than anything in the world. I wish I was a shapeshifter. <laughs> I wish I could change my body and my features and mm-hmm. everything about me cuz I cuz I don't want it I don't want things every day. I want it sometimes. Like mm-hmm. this week, I want I this week I want to be like bodily in any way. I want to be a cis man. This week I want to be like a cis woman. This week I want to be everything and in, in and nothing. Like this week, just don't perceive me. So. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's kind of how I was as a kid. Um, one of the things that I really felt connected to, just mind, body, and soul, was always Star Wars. Um, and I think that if I, 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 if I did have that language, I probably could have explained why I was so connected to it. Because I wanted to be Luke Skywalker so badly. But I also wanted to be Leia, 
And I think I think it's interesting because they're twins. And oh, I'm so sorry for spoilers for anyone. Um, it's forty years old. I think you get. I, I think that spoiler uh, is one of those things that so. we could probably yeah assume. Really? That if you haven't figured that out yet, then if you haven't definitely figured it been out, in well, some kind it's of. It's probably not my yeah. fault. Just don't um, spoil the end of the film. <laughs> oh, listen, yeah. Um, like they're twins, so they're almost you know obviously not that twins are the same person, but it's like kind of two sides of the same coin um which is kind of what i wanted to be and but then i was also very attracted to leia it was a lot of confusing things for a small child it's okay um, so it was luke i was, I was gonna say we'll call it self-love <laughs> um and so but i wanted to be these there were other characters i wanted to be like um in Disney's uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I loved I loved Esmeralda and I wanted to be Esmeralda, but I also loved Phoebus and I wanted to be Phoebus. And I it was it's funny because like even though I come from a home that was not very um that is not very at all affirming or anything like that, it I was not very rigidly like, no, you can't enjoy that, you can't like that. Because I like my mom, I remember one of my one of my first instances of gender euphoria, I said this on stream the other day, was when Attack of the Clones came out. I loved Anakin. Oh my gosh, I wanted to be him, I wanted to marry him. I still want to be and marry Hayden Christensen. <laughs> um but I loved Anakin. Well, of course, the, none of the girl sections in the stores had Star Wars stuff. But the boys section had an Anakin shirt that I loved and I wanted it. And my mom got it for me. It was like, like that kind of stuff wasn't a, you can only play with boy toys or you can only play with girl toys if you're a girl, a boy, whatever. Mm. And like, I had, I had a little, like from Hunchback, I had an Esmeralda costume and I also had a Phoebus costume. And I, so it was very, that wasn't restricted to me, which I'm very thankful for. Um... And I think that that's something that I did not have the language at the time. And I did not realize at the time that like, hey, you feel this way and you're experiencing these things because guess what? You, you are Luke and you're Leia and you're mm -hmm. neither. And that's great and wonderful and okay. Um, and if I, yeah, if I realized that being gender fluid I, that's probably like the closest thing I feel if I'm going to say anything other than non-binary. Non-binary feels the comfiest. But like if I realized that like non-binary or gender fluid was a thing you could be, I absolutely would have felt that way earlier. I don't even think I realized non-binary was like a term until probably until college. Yeah, I think I think it's um there's an activist, their name is um I'm probably going to say this wrong, Jacob Tobia, or Tobia, um, who's actually from my city, which I found out, and, like, is, knows one of my really good friends, um, and they were probably the first non-binary person I saw in media that I, like, realized that was, like, openly, like, hi, I'm non-binary, my pronouns are they, them, and... I I was very confused at first. I was like, what does this mean? What is happening? And then later on, I was like, oh, 
that's my experience. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it took a while for me to find that language. And I do think if I was, if I had that language when I was younger and knew that that was the thing you could be, I, and also attraction and sexuality. I knew like program, I want to say, I don't know, probably like fourth or fifth grade when I was like nine or 10 or something like that. I realized like there are people who are gay or lesbian or whatever. Like, cause I remember being teased about that. So, um, I definitely knew that that, that existed. Um, but as far as like gender experience, no, I had no clue there was anything other than I probably didn't like truly find out about trans people. Because the other thing is I went to a Christian school. And so at home and at school, I did not get much variety in my experience. Um, and I probably like truly found out like, hey, being trans is a thing in like high school, probably. Um, and I was, I was, I was stuck enough on, I think I'm bi, <laughs> to, like, even start thinking about my gender, so. In terms of, um, like, we've, we've talked quite a bit about, um, your, uh, um, gender and sexuality, but, mm -hmm. um, it's not often that we get, uh, someone, uh, uh on who's, uh, uh, polyamorous, so, yeah. um, in terms of, that how has that how did you come about f discovering that in yourself and and coming to terms with how that would affect you socially so again i think a lot of it was like being online and finding other poly people that i was just following um and just seeing their experience i think that's something uh, this is what i think is really valuable like i know we said earlier sometimes talking about this stuff online is you know not always productive the thing i think is most productive is being able to share our experiences that might help someone else be like wait that's my experience so i think when i started cuz i always thought that polyamory was either you know you're you're very promiscuous you're sleeping around all the time you never have like a strong partner because you don't want to be in a relationship or it was a bunch of people you know cohabitating together which it can be it can be either of those things and i think that's the thing is that i once again was very locked into this is what this means this is what this is this is what polyamory is and there's no other way to experience it and I think the thing that really helped me realize is, I, I forget who it was, but I was reading something by someone who was talking about, this is why I'm polyamorous. And they were essentially saying that um, love comes in so many different forms. And the way I express love and experience love and the amount of love I have comes in so many different forms. And for me, limiting that to one person is not only hard on me because it's I fall in love with other people, even though I'm in love with you. Or And it's not even just like romantic love. It's also, I think one thing that I found really freeing about polyamory is... The way that 
platonic and like friend love is so much more elevated and it's not it's not second or it's not less than romantic love um which i think is something that's so beautiful is being able to bring like platonic relationships can be just as strong and important as your romantic relationships and you can actually have like you can have a like an anchor partner who's actually platonic but then you have other romantic relationships like i think that's something that i found is that again just like being outside of the binary in gender and sexuality the way you do relationships does not have to be well you have your spouse or you have your partner and then yeah you have friends but like this person is the most important person ever and that's okay if you have someone who is actually that most important honestly i think that the way that if I can look at myself 10 years down the road and what I envision my life and my relationships to look like, I probably do have one, maybe two people who are that kind of anchor partners for me. But I have friends who I spend a lot of time with because they're just as important to me. I have other partners who, you know, I, I have some people who it's... If to an outside eye might be like a like friends with benefits situation whatever um but it's it's very i i am kind of like it's hard i th i feel like this is cringe to say this but i'm kind of like an ambivert person where i get energy from other people but i'm introverted in that and it may just be the anxiety but like i don't necessarily like to like run around and um go find everyone in the world and like be around all the people but being with people is how I fill my battery um and so I like I'm definitely I probably will never be that person who has a million partners but I definitely will be that person who has maybe one or two strong romantic anchor partners and then I mean my best friend I consider her one of my partners because I mean, we live together, um, we cook food for each other, um, she knows more about me than anyone else, um, but it's it's not a romantic relationship, but she is the most important person in my life right now, um, and will and will always be one of the most important people in my life, and I mean, we're, like, I say we, like, cohabitate, but in a lot of ways, like, we're definitely, like, doing life together um and so i think that what's really cool about polyamory and i haven't again partially because of the pandemic and i'm i don't go anywhere and i already didn't go anywhere before the pandemic and now i'm like no so like i go to work and i come home and that's all i do um i i have not uh found really any other partners necessarily and i will say i it's interesting because uh, being bi and polyamorous, a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to have a million partners because you've got such a wide dating pool. And it's like, well, zero times anything is still zero. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I felt that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think it's... I, me as a specific person i probably will not be someone who has a billion partners but um and i don't want that like i it's 
the thing that I think is most beautiful about polyamory is that we, again, we are all very unique individuals. And I think expecting, at least for me, one person, or for especially someone to expect of me, that I'm going to be everything for them. I'm going to fill every need they have, every social need, every romantic need. Like, I can't do that. I I don't have that much in me. I'm, I'm, I can barely take care of myself. <laughs> um, but, you know, and so, like, there are things that I love about... Um, you know, it's it's interesting. When I was in college, I had a really close friend. He was probably my best friend in college. And I had the biggest crush on him. I had such a big crush on him. And there were a lot of things that, like, I probably... I probably did not appreciate our friendship the way I should have. Because I was very stuck on oh, I I love this person and he's so amazing and I want to date him. When when I thought through a lot of things, there were a lot of like dating, like boyfriend-girlfriend things that um, thinking about doing with him was not it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it's just, you know, it's just, that's something you just have to get used to. And I think about it and I realize... No, he would have been someone who, I mean, he's not polyamorous, so, like, it that wouldn't have worked out either. It, but I didn't realize it at the time. But, like, if if we were, he would have been someone who I would absolutely consider him a partner. And he would absolutely be someone who is so important to me. But he would not be where I would go for, honestly, not be where I would go for, like, sex or something like that. And that's okay. But he's someone I still want to spend tons of time with. And I... I was explaining this to someone one time and they were like, that's just called friendship. And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> like, you, and, and that's the thing about it is that when you realize, hey, friendships are just as important as romantic relationships and friends can be partners. Because I think that a lot of times we say that romance and sex and like, and like everyone always says like, oh, your spouse needs to be your best friend your lover and, you know, your partner, your mate, whatever, they don't have to be. Like, you're, you're, you can have that, you can maybe find that in someone. They can be all of those things. Um, but they can also be one of those things or maybe two of those things. And then someone else is one or two of those things. Or maybe you have two people who are all of those things or whatever it is. Like, it's, once again... We don't have to do exactly, like, we don't have to be what someone else is. We don't have to be what everyone else is. And I think that when we realize, like, if this is how you're doing things, I think it's hard because, like, obviously, um, governments and society sets things up to make it convenient to be like, I'm just going to marry this person. And, like, you can do that. And, like, people, oh, my gosh, polyamory polyamory people polyamorous people um they do that all the time it's like they marry someone and that's who they are that's like their <laughs> i low-key call it their government partner and that doesn't mean that they're not <laughs> anything but like essentially the person who like okay for tax purposes they're the tax benefit or one. yes they're the tax benefit <laughs> one we're gonna sh we're gonna sh we're gonna share insurance i'm gonna be on your insurance like that kind of thing until government starts recognizing polyamory um it you know it uh 
like you got to have your tax benefit partner at some point probably um i would i wish god i wish i had a tax benefit partner oh my gosh um but yeah so it's a uh, so you probably have that but like relationally you can you can do whatever you want like if you find someone who's very important now obviously like people are going to come and go and some people may not feel exactly the same way you feel about them and that's okay um but it's it's very you i think the thing that's really freeing about polyamory is like you don't have to just find you know what else it did oh my gosh I, especially growing up in, like, growing up as a woman in a Christian household, the the whole, your whole purpose in life is to find your one true love and get married is such a huge pressure. And it's so much, it's like, that's your focus. Like, honestly, sometimes even more, like, I don't think, I don't think I've ever met a Christian who would, like, a like i'm a christian who would say that like getting married is more important than like your faith but honestly that's how they treat it in a lot of ways and so for so long and it's also like pressure it's like when am i gonna meet them what if i didn't realize that was them like there's like this pressure of like who's my person who's my one true love and being polyamorous that's gone like again yes i will probably most likely at this point in my life i envision myself having like an anchor partner maybe two whatever but it's i think that's just because i'm shy (laughs) um but it's like i don't have to be like if i find someone else who i love and i fall in love with that's okay Right? I mean, again, there's communication. I think in any relationship, even monogamous relationships, there is less, like, people don't realize how much communication is necessary. In friendships, people don't realize how much communication is necessary. So, like, being polyamorous, communication and, like, literally sitting down and talking through things and saying, hey, this is how everything is, setting up those boundaries, setting up, like, it, I, polyamorous people joke about, like, the calendar and the schedule and like stuff like that. But like, it's so true because if not, we're especially people who you might have anxiety. Like one of my big anxiety things is I'm always assuming people hate me and people are like mad at me or something. So if you're not communicating through that, if you have so, and you know, if you're not communicating through that, it's going to be very easy to have toxic feelings come up when you have relationships with multiple people. And I think something that I noticed when I was a kid is I was, like I said, I was I used to be kind of like a leader and I used to kind of be like the leader. And I was the one that kind of set like, this is what we're doing today and this is how we're playing and this is who we're playing with. And Loki, I was a little bit of a jerk about it, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but I found that there were some days I wanted to hang out with one person more than others. And I did, now, this is a separate subject. I did not handle that well as a child. I would do, I feel like I would do that better now. As a child? Actually. (laughs) um, But, like, I think that's very genuine. It's like, there are some, like, there are some days where it's like, your, maybe your spouse 
is not the person you need to be around that day, you know? And again, that doesn't mean to say like, it is all about you and your own emotions, because it's certainly not. And anytime you are going to partner, like that's why it's that word with anybody, like it is a co-relationship. You need to be thinking about each other. Like these are my needs and boundaries. What are your needs and boundaries? How can we work together to respect both of those things? Um, but at the same time, I don't know. At the same time, to me, I think that's even more, not more. I'm not like, I'm not trying to knock monogamous relationships. Certainly not. But this idea of like having kind of this mini community pod of people who love you and relate to you in different ways is like really, really cool to me. Like, I love that. I think that's so cool. I think one of the things know. that um, it, I guess, sours monogamy when coming from a, a, a polyamory uh, perspective is that the experience of polyamory makes you so much more um, healthy-minded towards how you develop and approach relationships um it's monogamy tends to be a case of you know it it it's been bred into a don't upset this person don't do anything to to rock the boat kind of principle well when you go through a polyamorous uh, experience uh, you have so many more experiences where you have to actually balance multiple people's um feelings um uh opinions wants needs at the same time which kind of puts like a crash course in in healthy relationships that you don't get in monogamy um not to say that you know monogamous relationships can't be healthy just that quite often you haven't had the experience to get to that point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i also think that something that i I was kind of saying this earlier but something that i found like even i did this my monogamous friends do this is like when you are monogamous you're always kind of I mean, not always, but like a lot of times you're looking for that one person. And when someone doesn't fulfill exactly everything's needs, we move on, whatever. And it's almost like every time you're with someone, no matter how serious you are, a lot of times there seems to be like this doubt of, are they the person? Are they the right person? You know, like, what What if there's someone better for me? I Like, I even, I know people who've been married for, like, 30 years who are like, well, you know, I dated this one person one time, you know, however many years ago, and sometimes I wonder what it would be like if I had been with them. And it's, and it's like this fear that, like, you're never with the right person. And, again, not saying that when you're polyamorous, you're automatically going to find the right person for you. But I actually do think in a lot of ways, because relationships can come and go. um, 
in polyamory and in monogamy, but like you may be, you may be with someone, you know, quote forever for the rest of your natural life. You may be with someone and other people and have the one person who's there forever. Um, and you know, have other partners come and go and whatever. But at the same time, you know, this may, this may just be the right person for me at this time. And they may not be the right person forever, but that's okay. Like, that's not pressure. And it's not fun to lose people. And, like, you may have to mourn relationships. And that's, but, like, you have to do that when you're monogamous, too. You know? Um, the, the difference is, like, you, the difference is, you, unless something really bad happened, you probably aren't going to lose all of your relationships at the same time. Which means that, if you lose this person, you have enough, you have these, the support of other people who, you know, you're, you're not suddenly alone, um, which is not bad to be alone. I've been alone like my entire life. So, um, I'm, I, it, being alone is a very good, healthy thing to be. Um, but I, I also think that like, that's, that's one of the things that I feel is really comforting about polyamory is if you do have like a you do kind of have that like polycule you have a, you have multiple partners at one time if you lose someone you're not suddenly starting over from square one you're not suddenly you know again it's it depends on the relationship and it depends on how things are but you're not suddenly like oh i'm single you know um i think that's kind of comforting i don't know no, you said that you've um, <laughs> don't go out much and have anxiety, no. which I can very much relate to. <laughs> um, but uh, how have you found approaching relationships with that elephant in the room? Uh <laughs> um, it's honestly, I think it's been a little so. Being polyamorous is probably the thing I've come to realize about myself most recently. So I'm still kind of learning. I, like, I know how I feel about polyamory. I just haven't really totally had the chance to, like, practice it necessarily. Because, again, I didn't date much before. And so, like, that, that didn't just suddenly change things. I think the thing that I'm trying to unlearn the most right now is because I'm not in that... I have to find the one person mindset. I'm trying to unlearn. It's okay to date someone you don't want to be with forever. And it's okay to date someone that you don't want to marry. Um, and I, I mean, you got to be open and honest about that. Like that was actually why my last relationship ended because he wanted to, he didn't necessarily want to marry me, but like that, I knew that was like his end goal is like, he, all his friends, he was a couple years older than me. All his friends were getting married. Like he was like, his goal was like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find someone to marry. And I was like, nope, mm -mm. not only am I like not ready for that right now, but like, I did not want to marry him. And so like, I ended things because I didn't want that. Um, and I knew that he did. So, you know, just whatever. But I do think it's been kind of harder because 
a lot of times you tell people that and there's still a lot of stigma associated with it. Um, and so like, it, honest, it's hard. It's already hard enough being like, hey, by the way, I'm bi and I'm not binary. And also, I'm probably going to date other people, too. Um, you can, too, if you'd like. Um, and it's I live in the southern United States. So it's even harder here because, again, you think the pool is wide, but it actually almost feels smaller because even within the queer community, there are people who are like, polyamorous? Mm, not for me, which is great. I'm glad that's for you. <sighs> okay. Um, and so, honestly, I kind of feel like it has been harder because I either have to... I either have to be like, okay, well, do I want to date this person for a little bit and be like kind of sacrificing the things that I know I am because like, well, you know, maybe I, maybe I won't date other people right now or maybe they'll come around or, you know, we'll talk about it more. Or do I want to be like, I'm not even going to, I'm going to stop this before it starts, you know, like, which is usually what I do. Um, also because I have anxiety <laughs> and I'm like not having to go out and meet someone and talk to people and go through awkward dating things. Sounds great. Cool. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep living my life and that's fine. Uh, yeah, so I, I, it's, I've actually found it to be more difficult because I think the more the more non-traditional your particular lifestyle or identity is, um, again, even within like LGBTQ spaces, it can be hard to find people who are like, Hell yeah, let's go. Um, it's been, it's, I feel like it's been more difficult. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think you're right. So I will preface just, just saying that uh, the, the view I'm about to share is not one I hold. Um, I essentially, for a while, I had a bit of a trigger around polyamory because I was in a toxic relationship. Um, and it's not that I had any problem with polyamory. I like, at the moment, I still think I am monogamous. I have no idea who I'll be in the future. I didn't think I was Demi-Femme. We'll see what happens. Who knows? <laughs> but I was in a toxic relationship and I now realise I am asexual. I didn't want to have sex with this man I was dating. So he brought up the idea of polyamory. When I said no, he went and fucked his best friend anyway. And I'm like, you can't just try... He, he was trying to find a cheat code, which is what I think a lot of people think polyamory is, but yeah. it isn't. It's absolutely not. But unfortunately, it's jackasses like my ex-boyfriend leading to this idea that polyamorous people are unfaithful or, you know, are using it to get something else. But polyamory requires way... Well, actually, not way more, but it requires a hell of a lot of conversation. It just requires it with more people. It's still... It still can be a very trustworthy and, you know, loyal relationship if you want it to be. It's people that try and use anything as a cheat code is a problem. Like people thinking that bisexual and pansexual people are, you know, for everyone. It's like, no, I still have standards, mate. You know, it's... It... Unfortunately, I, I agree with you. The pool is smaller, not because you don't like as many people, but because people unfortunately have a a sour disposition towards things they don't understand and it's very very frustrating um when somebody else decides how your life should go based on ideas they have for you 
And that brings us over to very much uh, quite nicely uh, to talk about stigmas and misconceptions. Um, uh, now, I think, yeah, we, we, we've highlighted very effectively here that, yes, while uh, polyamory has its own um, uh, stigmas uh, and misconceptions, being bisexual and polyamorous kind of plays into each other's stigmas. Um, so I'd like to just open the space to talk about some of those. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's obviously you hear the, like, probably the most common, uh, especially by, especially by femme, um, misconception and thing is like, oh, well, you want to have a threesome, right? And it's like, well, I do, but not everyone does. It's like I, I am polyamorous. Not with you. <laughs> oh, that's my <laughs> thing. Standards. Like, with, uh, yeah, those standards. Listen, everything, <laughs> everything, 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 especially in relationships, communication and consent. Like, yeah. if you have a partner and you're polyamorous, great. You still need to communicate and like, like I'm not saying you need to get consent to date, but like. Depend, like you have to have those conversations about like what does our polyamory look like? What does that look like in our relationship? What like what are your boundaries for you know other relationships? And again, you have like you have to be open because like there are some people who are going to be toxic about it, and you don't want to be with those people. Um, but it's there are so many stigmas like. There's also the idea that polyamorous people or especially again, it's always like by polyamorous people. Um, the idea of like being very, like very sexually active. I'm not <laughs> again, like I don't date a lot of people and I'm like, be for me, I'm not, I'm not, um, oh my God, why am I forgetting the word? <laughs> what's, what's the word for like, you you only you only experience uh sexual attraction if you are or romantic or you only experience attra attraction if you're already like emotionally close with someone. What the hell is that word? Why can't I remember it? Asexual. It's a it, so there's asexuality, but then there's also um um my god something romantic. Is it demi? Is it demi like demi demisexual or demi romantic? Yeah yeah. yeah 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 yeah. Where did that? Well, I don't know why that was out of my brain. Yes, 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 yes. I don't think um, that that's me. Um, because there's certainly, like, I definitely experience sexual attraction to people I have never spoken to in my life. <laughs> um, however, the actual, like, oh, I actually want to, I may be sexually attracted to you, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I actually even want to have sex with you, right? Mm. And so, um... Some sometimes I, I'm like I don't know what this what this sexuality I have is, which is I am sexually attracted to pretty much everybody, but I only want to actually have sex with people I'm close to. Is I don't know what that is, but that's me. Um, it's probably just anxiety and trauma and depression. <laughs> um, that's probably what that is. I think it's the trauma. Um, the point where you're trying to figure out which is trauma and which is your sexuality. 
so true. Like, Let's not even bring kinks yeah, into what's it. That conversation? Uh, like that conversation that's like, what's trauma and what's my identity? <laughs> and is my trauma my identity? I don't know. Um Yeah, I think that uh I think that this idea that I'm you know, I'm bi and the way I experience bisexuality is I I have the ability to be attracted to pretty much everybody. And, and, um, I mean, honestly, this is kind of a stigma that I found a lot is like the, the differences or the, um, kind of the tension between not like actual tension, but this is like, what's the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality does bisexuality, um, if you if you say your bisexuality is I have the ability to be attracted to everyone or essentially two or more genders, um, then does that cancel out pansexuality? Does pansexuality cancel? You know, there that's a whole discourse thing that I've seen that I'm like, again, for me personally, pink, purple and blue are my favorite colors. So really, that's kind of what it came down to was like, which flag do I like? <laughs> Um, I, oh, sorry. No, go for it. I was going to say, so I, I did identify as bisexual for a long time, but over the last two years have come to identify as pansexual. And the way I kind of view it is bisexual is, you know, being attracted to all genders, but pansexuality for me is being attracted regardless of gender. It's very, very, very similar. It's very much splitting hairs, but it doesn't matter to me a single fucking fig. It's like, if I like a person, I like a person. But some people do, you know, prefer to, you know, know who a person is and then go from there. Like, what I use them all interchangeably. Do. So bi, pan, yeah. queer. Um, I use bi on Twitter because it's shorter. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that to me, that's the, di like, and, and I like the colours. Like. Yeah, the pan flag mm -hmm. is fucking gross. It's so, it's such a, <laughs> right? oh God. Like, better colours, would you? For me, it, it's irrelevant, but that the the fact that there's been so much like l like backlash for identifying as bi as opposed to pan, mm. when as far back as I could ever recall, it's always, I mean, it's always been used for like just everyone I, I like all yeah mm. it's it's the easiest way to say it is everyone the actual like bisexual manifesto says two or more genders like is the is the ability to be attracted to two or more genders um so essentially it's you're not just attracted to one gender is bisexuality mm. and like for me my personal experience is while I do have the ability to be attracted to everyone, it's not necessarily regardless of gender. Like, a lot of times the reason, and I think this is something else I've kind of found about polyamory and maybe why I'm polyamorous, is because different genders, like, do different things for me. Um, and in both, like, emotionally and sexually, honestly, like, I'm sexually attracted to men for different reasons that I am to women, to non-binary people, to anyone really. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, like, when it comes down to, like, actual relationships and, like, the people, who they are, yes, is more important to me. Like, I'm not going to be like, 
Oh, well, I've hit my I've hit my women quota, so I don't want to date. Like, no. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, it's like, well, I'm actually looking to be dating a man right now, so I don't want to no, like that's not um it it does like come down to like, you know, it it doesn't matter who I actually end up dating. Like, am I going to date all women? Fine. Or all men? Fine. Whatever. But I do specifically experience attraction to people and bring their gender into it and I'm attracted to them for different things and not just because of not just because of who they are. It's part of who they are that I am attracted to. Um and also like if you're like, oh well why are you attracted to men? Well I actually don't have the answer to that. It's a mystery. Um, <laughs> I am kidding slightly. Um but if <laughs> you ask me that like <laughs> yeah but if you ask me that like I'm going to have a different answer for why I'm attracted to men than why I'm attracted to non-binary people. Um you know or or anyone really. Um and it's again I I I think the reason that there is kind of a distinction between and why there should be kind of a distinction between um bisexuality and pansexuality is because we do live in a world right now that is if we lived in a world like I was saying earlier where it's you can be do whatever you want you can express yourself whatever you want you can identify however you want and everyone was just very unique in that way then I think that in a lot of ways pansexuality might be a more appropriate like label over everything because everybody's different right and yes we're all gonna have similar you know there's going to be shared experiences to some degree but the 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 more you you have these big categories that drop down into these smaller smaller like categories and labels and whatever which it's totally okay to label things i think i don't necessarily think we need to be in a post label world I think labels can be helpful to find community. Um, but the more you find that, the more it's like, does does it matter? I don't know. But me, I like pink, purple, and blue. So <laughs> that's kind of... Um, yeah, I think that's definitely something. I feel like I've lost the question. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm uh, ranting. <laughs> stigmas... Uh... Yes. Misconceptions, uh, things that you want people to know about, I guess. Um, let me think. Oh, obviously, and I feel like I've danced around this, but non-binary people don't owe you androgyny. Um, it's like just, oh, that drives me so crazy. And again, I do understand that maybe performing gender in a more like androgynous way might make it easier for people to not misgender me just because of the world we live in i understand that i don't care <laughs> i like being femme i like my makeup i like having longer hair to make it you know easy for others to define you yeah like like it, it's just i like you don't have to your gender performance does not necessarily have to line... Well, and for me, my gender performance does line up with my gender. It's just that I don't subscribe to the idea that gender is binary. I don't subscribe to the fact that, like, these behaviors are innately womanly behaviors. 
or vice versa or whatever. And so for me, yes. And I, I, you know, I, I do think, and this is probably a stigma that I find is that being, um, be, you know, having been AFAB and also being bi and all of these is that there is an amount of privilege that comes with that. And I'm not saying I'm not because certainly I am, I can very much walk down the street and people are like, oh, that's a cishet woman. And so in some ways there is some safety that, well, <laughs> being a woman, I don't know about safety yeah. in that, um, depending on, but like the idea of, I think this is a weird thing that has come up recently and I, maybe it's something, well, probably something that's been a while, but like a form of gatekeeping in the community that is based on how likely you are to be hate crimed <laughs> is wild to me and being like, well, you're a bi woman and you're in a relationship with a man. So you have straight privilege. To be fair, there are going to be something. My friend pointed this out to me. For example, like getting a house or renting something. Yes, if you show up, if you are a cis woman and you show up with your cis husband, even if both of you are bi, if both of you look relatively cishet, you're probably not going to run into any problems. You're probably not going to run into much discrimination. But if you... Are you know if it's two gay men going together or lesbians or whatever, it you know you may run into something. And so to that, but then if you also think about it, it's like, well, what? How are you dressed? Right? Is it be? Are they discriminating against you because of your specific identity that you haven't even said to them necessarily, or is it because of what they're perceiving? So I might go in looking very cishet, but I might have, but I'm not. But I might have a partner, and he's a cis man, but he looks more queer than me, and we may have an issue there, right? So it's, um, you, and the other thing is, like, you also don't know who is what. Like, it, it's, it's just, it's very, I think the idea of, like, saying who has more privilege than who based on how likely we are to be like hate crimes or discriminated against is really silly. And it's like the suppression Olympics that it's like, why are we getting upset about this when once again, if you're being upset because someone has a label that maybe makes you uncomfy or maybe has an experience that like, you're like, well, that's not as bad as me. So you don't get as many rights as me. What? What are you talking about? Like this, I think it's interesting because, like, it statistically, bi people make up the largest portion, at least when it, you know, sexuality-wise, the largest portion of LGBTQIA community, but we get, like, the least funding, and we have the least programs, and a lot of times the least support, and it's like, well, you don't need it because you can be straight if you want to. What? <laughs> Hello? No, that's not how that works. Um, yeah, and so I, don't mind me. I'm just going to turn off my oh, bisexuality go. for a bit. That's... Truly, that's. I think that's that's probably the like stigma or the thing that probably is most infuriating to me is that depending on who you're dating, you're more or less queer. 
And it's like, no, because just because I'm, you know, first of here, first of all, I'm non-binary. So anybody who dates me is automatically gay. Um, so jot that down. <laughs> um, don't and, don't tell them uh, that you might cause a crisis. And, uh, and I would love for all of the uh, cis men who dated me at one point to be like, hey, by the way, <laughs> you're actually queer. You dated a non-binary person. No. Um, although that is an interesting conversation is like, if, you know, if you are, again, this is why it's all made up. It's like, okay, I'm non-binary, but I'm pretty femme, but I'm still non-binary. Does that make a cishet man who dates me? Does that make them queer? Uh, or, you know, or what if I was really masked, but I identify as a woman? Does that make them like what what's happening? You know, like it's it's all made up. It's like and it's okay to have labels because sometimes that's comfy. For me being my very my very chaotic brain likes to assign labels to things because I like to be able to explain my experience. I like to be able to explain my world. It makes me feel comfy. But that does not mean just because for me that's comfy, that may not be comfy for someone else. And also someone's experience that might be similar to mine, but they label it differently. That just, like, okay, you might be comfy with that label, and we have a similar experience or the same experience. Again, your bisexuality and someone else's pansexuality may be, by definition, the same kind of attraction, but they're more comfortable with pansexuality as a label and you're more comfortable with bisexuality. And that's okay. You can do that. Like, I don't, I don't get why we get all mad at each other for how we identify. I think like, that's one of the things that um, uh, grated with me uh, uh, quite a lot is that I found that labeling uh, did, as, as said in the chat, create a a class system to exclude me from the community that i wanted to be a part of um and yet it also creates confusion for me because in trying to find a label that fits so that other people can understand me that doesn't make me particularly comfortable because you know I I I am gender fluid, non-binary, demiflux, something, and and defining that is so. Uh, it honestly even defining my pronouns for like for example today defining my pronouns was hard enough just 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 giving pronouns because. Sometimes, mentally, I don't... I'm just me. Yeah. And really, defining those things and creating those labels isn't for me. It's for others to understand and to be able to address me. Um, and so, yeah, while I agree that, yeah, labels can be good for, for certain things... I also agree on the other side of that it, it can create friction and cause more problems than it solves. <laughs> Good when they're a tool, not a steadfast rule. 
because especially with things like medical as well like being able to sort of use a label of self-diagnosis to be able to actually then go to a doctor and be like hey Mm -hmm. I, I have identified this look into it please because a lot of people that end up with a proper diagnosis e.g one from a doctor with a bit of paper attached often self-diagnosed first because they had to find out what was wrong and it was by other people using a label that they were able to find it but when somebody else then perceives you and says you know oh you're polyamorous that means you are this 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 is this this is what your label says it also says to like hand wash at 40 degrees it's like it's a tool to be helpful it doesn't have to be there um but yeah it's, it's when people assume your labels as well because what you were saying earlier about you know some people saying you have sort of straight privilege if you can be perceived to be in a straight relationship which on one hand i can see because yes there could be a reason that that gives you benefits over others but it is also queer erasure because that part of you has been removed by other people who are saying well you've got something good so the other parts of you don't need to measure up anymore and it's like you can still be benefiting from one society while be being put down by another group. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. ideally, like I, I get why people feel upset and frustrated and angry when it is perceived that others have benefits that they don't and that they've never had and they won't be able to have because that is frustrating. But we should be happy for others that have been able to get on better if even if we haven't been able to. Like, I've there's so many things in my life where it's like, oh, I really, really should have got that help that that person over there has got, but I didn't, so they can't. It's like, no, they, I didn't, but they did. That's awesome. That means shit's changed and someone else is going to have a good time. And maybe, yeah, I had to suffer through it. But that it's... means that something I did and people like me did changed it for someone else. That should be the goal. And it's also that, like, you can be frustrated that maybe... Like, it's totally okay to be frustrated and be like, oh, these people have more rights and privileges than I do because of whatever. But why, like, let me ask you a question. Is it by people's fault that that it is the way that is? No, it's not. So why are you attacking members of your own community for something that they're benefiting from? Like, and now, to be fair, if they're not, if someone has privilege and is not using that privilege to try to bring uh, liberation to other communities who have mm. less privilege than them, that's a problem. Yes. Or, or or trying to keep it so that they don't lose their privilege so they want other people to be not privileged. Of course that's a problem and we don't want we that, no. You can keep the privilege. No, you do not keep privilege. <laughs> um, however, if, if there, like, if there are like in this example, like if there are bi people who might be benefiting from the way society works, well, it's not really their fault. It's the people who set up society. So that's who you really need to be getting on. And like, I, I, I don't get that. Like, why are we wasting our energy? And it, that's always what I say when I see people fighting online, especially like amongst their own community. I'm like, I really hope you are giving this same energy to your representatives. Like, I really hope you are getting this angry at the people in the government. Like, at the people who are leading society right now. Because 
And I know a lot of times it's easier for people to feel like they have more power by arguing with people online. And it's like a lot of that is a power thing. And like, especially here in this country, we a lot of times we feel so helpless of like, what can we do? Um, But there, there are things you can do. And there are people you can go to and resources you can go to. Maybe it might require a little work. And yes, in, but not everything requires you to be like, I, again, because of the pandemic, I have, um, I, all, I have some chronic illnesses that like make me immunocompromised. And so I want, you know, I want to be careful about, that's why like, I pretty much only go to work and go home because I want to be in places that I can control and that I feel comfortable being because I don't want to get sick. Um, and so what I did during our 2020 election, because I wasn't going to, I couldn't go out and work the polls or anything like that, is I did texting. I got on my phone, I worked with an organization, I was just texting people like, hey, are you, you know, do, are you registered to vote? Do you need to know where your polling place is? Like that kind of stuff. Stuff that's like, it seems silly and it seems simple, but like, that's very, it's very helpful. Um, and just like bringing awareness and there's, you know, there's things you can do that is not arguing with your own community online about who's more privileged and who's more oppressed. It's just, I don't think that's helpful. I think that actually, like I said, if you're like, well, you need to be less queer or you need to be more this or you need to be more that, then... You're aiming your energies at the wrong place. Yeah, exactly. You're propping them up. You're propping up this ideology that, like, you need to fit in a certain way. And it's like, no, you don't. Stop it. That's not how it is. Okay, so last question to wrap up um, is uh, tell us what you can take away from your experience and what good has come of it. Um... I think I was kind of saying this before is like you can you can take what we're given as humans and you can use that and your experience however you want. I think that we're I think that in this world we're all kind of in the same like we might be in the same coloring book, but you and I are on this one page, but I'm using different colors than you are. And someone else might be on a different page, but is using the same colors as me. Someone may be on a different page and is using totally different colors. But we're all making a really pretty picture together. And I know that's kind of like a rose-colored glasses way of looking at things, because that's certainly not how a lot of people treat the world and other people. But I think that when we start allowing ourselves to say, hey, do things have to be this way? Do we have to be this strict about uh, our rules and regulations, especially when it comes to how people experiences experience themselves and their identity, I think we open up a lot more for more creativity, more beauty, um, and just more expression that makes things a much better place and a more colorful place to be. Um, and that's really what I've learned in my experience is that like embrace that uniqueness embrace that queerness because it is that's what makes the world so worth being in 
in my opinion. Okay. Um, well, thank you for coming and talking to us today. Thank um, you for having me. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out and uh, to come and talk to us. Um, is there any last words of wisdom or things that you'd like to share with us before uh, we do our sign off? Um, no, I think I think I kind of just said it. I think everyone, you are all very loved and you are very special and just go just go be yourself in the world because you make it a better place. Pan, is there hey. anything that you'd like to add to the uh, mix before yeah. we sign off? Yes. Um, Monkeypox is not a gay disease. Thank I you. very much understand that in the UK, as far as we are aware, some of the first people with positive infections may have been men who had sex with men, and that may have been how it was initially transmitted. But it is not a sexually transmitted disease. It is linked to smallpox. It is not linked to anything that can be passed via sex. It is passed by physical closeness or by coming into contact with a saw or something. Obviously, if you're naked and you have a saw and you touch it, that might be an easier way to catch it. But just because you're gay doesn't mean you're going to catch it. Please do not let them turn this into a, well, if you, don't, if, you, if, you, if you don't fuck someone with the same sex, you'll be fine. No, if somebody has it and you do have physical contact with them, go and talk to a doctor. They are giving out inoculations in the UK, but only if you have proven contact. Don't let people tell you that you can only get it if you're gay. Yes, please not let's not it... start a reenactment of uh, HIV and AIDS. Cause no, please no. We've because been there. We should have learned so... from that. Yes, and it's led to so much pain and so much, so many problems and so many people being put down and treated badly. You know who are cishet and how are like HIV or AIDS positive because that's a gay disease and so you must have sinned. No, this is all things that are being fed to you to make you seem like a bad person and you're not. And if you get sick, you're not a bad person. So if you do find people saying it's a gay disease or they can't catch it, let them know it's related to smallpox, not to any sexually transmitted disorder mm. or sorry disease. And just look after yourself. Keep washing your hands. 100%. Embrace the anxiety of uh, uh, people and never go out again. Yeah. Truly. I cannot wait until they rename that because, again, it's just, it's had the worst fucking, it's like somebody just sucking rolled a roulette, was like, hmm, what's the weirdest shit we can cook up? Let's give it a horrible name and then say Honestly. it's caused by gay people. Let's, let's, let's go Honestly. for that, shall we? So terrible. Yes. It is being renamed. If you see something new come up saying it's passed by gay people, it's not a new disease, and no, it's not passed by gay people. <sighs> there you are. That's that's my my entire this, TED That talk. is very good. It's it's very irritating <laughs> that people are treating it that way. <sighs> all right. Well, uh, thank you both for uh, joining me today. Um, if you would like to go spread some love, go check them out in the links in the chat. Um, next uh, Through Our Eyes podcast will be in two weeks um, and next stream for me is going to be tomorrow uh, but yes um, I hope you all have a good rest of your evening or day I hope you all have a good rest of your week if you'd like to keep in contact go go troll the socials join the discords go 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 spread some love 
Um, but yes, have a good one all, and I will see you all soon. Say bye all! Bye-bye! Bye! -bye. bye.